Welcome, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Matthews Podcast, a podcast highlighting commercial real estate news, topics, and trends from top professionals in the industry. I'm your host, Matt Wallace, with over a decade of commercial real estate experience executing on over a billion dollars of transactions across retail, multifamily, and industrial, primarily on the eastern half of the country. Now I serve as market leader at Matthews, sharing my skills and supporting work, the workplace expansion, development, and management of the Matthews brand. Today, we are joined by Matthews' Simon A. Soft, the first repeat guest on the Matthews podcast. He is a vice president and director of NetLease. Guised as one of our top agents at Matthews, he's a go-to resource for all types of asset classes across commercial real estate. Simon opened up our Scottsdale, Arizona office in 2020 and has mentored numerous agents across single tenant net lease, industrial, and all other types of niches that Matthews has their fingers into. In this episode, we're going to dive into which industries are the most active currently and some of the difficulties surrounding each one. Topics touched on in this episode are going to include sale lease back, macro factors like high inflation and high interest rates, and how to prepare your portfolio for a downturn. So Simon, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Let's dive right in. What industries are most active right now for buyers and which ones have slowed down? Yeah, so the industries that I see most active buyers in are really the industries where there are buyers that need to buy. This includes owners on the operational side. I'm, I have two really active teams on the car wash operational side and the gas station operational side. And both of those industries have buyers that are constantly trying to find ways to grow their business. So I'd say there's even more buyers probably than sellers in, in both of those industries. Obviously, much like all the other industries, EBITDA multiples have been affected just due to where debt is right now, but still a ton of active buyers looking to grow their operations in both of those industries in self-storage as well. There's still a lot of private equity funds or large institutional REITs that are still buying up a, a ton of assets that we're bringing out to market. Really, I would say out of all of the industries I'm in the most, the one that is probably ha probably has the lowest number of buyers looking right now just seems to be single tap retail because of the passivity of that industry. A lot of the buyers that buy single tenant retail in many cases are using it for retirement uh, with higher cost of debt. A lot of them just seem to be on the sidelines right now, but we're still getting a ton of deals done. It's no longer a market-driven acquisition because interest rates are low, et cetera. It's more so the guys that need to buy right now for an exchange or they're transitioning from a different industry looking for less management. Uh, Let's dive into that for a second. When we talk about the cost of capital, how is that impacting single tenant net lease right now? What are the actions of the Fed doing to impact the transactions market that you're seeing? Yeah, we were coming off of a two-year high where we were, it seems as though 4% cap rates on all new construction sites were the norm. And it almost feels like we're in a hangover now where everybody was partying for two years with low interest rates, et cetera. And a lot of the comps that we're going off of just don't really match anymore because if you're buying a 5% cap rate and your interest rate is at a 4 or 5, but now the same interest rate on that asset's now at a 6, it's much more difficult to afford the 5% cap rate. And obviously there's a disconnect from where sellers are hoping to sell their sites, whether it's new developers 
newly developed sites or your more private owner that is now selling a property and hoping they can get the price that they saw that they could get two years ago. So there's just, you, you avoid, you avoided using a very ne- a dirty word in our industry, which is negative leverage. How are you seeing buyers in the space finance these deals coming up with that exact issue that you just relay? The fact that now interest rates may be higher than historical cap rates for this industry. Yeah, it's lower LTV is one way that some investors are, what, what some lenders are now requiring in order to finance this with negative leverage. Seller financing is another term that's thrown out a lot of deals that we have. It's just rare that single tenant owners, especially if they're the dentist that is using this asset as their retirement, owns it free and clear. So seller financing is more difficult, I would say, on the single tenant side than some of these other industries just with operations. A lot of those guys tend to own some of their sites free and clear where seller financing could be an option. Uh, But that's just the point, right? I think a lot of investors right now are looking for those 6% 6% cap rates, six and a half, seven percent and still want similar lease structure to what they're used to or what they're interested in. And there's just not a lot of those on market because of the disconnect between what sellers want, and what buyers want. So our fearless leader likes to use a term or an idiom says buyers are undefeated. When he's mentioning that buyers being undefeated, what does he mean by that? He means you and I or me and any seller I'm talking to can talk about comps until we're blue in the face, but we don't know what a site's going to sell for until we bring it to market. And if we bring it to market and buyers are telling us what they can pay for it, that's what it's worth. So buyers are undefeated in that capacity where they can only buy what they can afford and they're only going to buy what makes sense for them given what debt looks like on a specific property. So you and I are me and a seller, when I'm advising them on what price we should bring it out to market, can talk to her blue in the face on what it's worth. But at the end of the day, it's worth what a buyer is willing to pay for it. So how do we get sellers to come to the new reality? Yeah, I think it all comes down to a need to sell, right? And there's still a lot of sellers out there that need to sell. And maybe in six months, there's even more that need to sell. But Really, it's just, is it something that they need to sell? Are they price motivated? And if they're price motivated, now's probably not the time to sell it. But if there are other motivating factors there and there's a need to sell, it's just advising them on, hey, here's how to do it. And here's the price that it's likely going to trade at. It's looking at not only where things have sold over the past six months, but adjusting for where debt was at the time of the comp that you're using versus where it is now as well as where other properties listed, how long have they been on market that are similar to this and what cap rates are those at and trying to come out at better cap rates to make it more attractive to the lower number of buyers that are now looking. It seems for the past six months, the transaction volume has been taking it on the chin. Obviously, inflation was one of the main factors driving that that gap in the bid-ask spread. And then... Oh, just a, about a month ago now, we saw some turbulence in the banking market. How has that impacted transactions and the ability to finance deals? Yeah, so I think every time Jay Powell came on the 
had a press conference. He was talking about, hey, we're just going to increase interest rates until something breaks. And I think what we're seeing in the banking sector feels a lot like something breaking right now. And have we seen the full extent of what that is? I don't know. In my eyes, we live in a weird world where bad news is almost seen as good news because then that means the Fed can't continue to be as aggressive as they have been on increasing the Federal Reserve rate. Maybe they start having more attractive monetary policy to drive interest rates down or at least keep them stable because the worst things for markets is uncertainty. If we're at least certain that it's going to be bad, I truly believe that means that it could be even better for markets because at least then we can project. Right now, projecting things is difficult because we don't know if interest rates are going to go up, if they're going to go down, what's going to happen to markets just in general, which has some people seeing on the sidelines with a wait and see approach. So, you know, what's going on in the banking sector, obviously there's some concerns there, but I think for interest rates, it could be a positive where the Fed can't continue to increase as they have been. If you look a month ago, I think it was like 80% of investors were pricing in a 50 basis point rate hike. And then a week before the announcement is when we started seeing the turmoil in the banking sector. And then it was, it completely flipped to 80% of investors pricing in just a 25 basis point rate hike and the other 20% pricing in no rate hike. And obviously we saw the 25. I think the Fed's going to start slowing down. They're now tracking what's going on in that industry and it might have them be a lot less aggressive than they have been. Yeah, some people were hoping for a decrease, but it's a, it's a tough tightrope for the Fed to walk, right? Balancing his, historically high inflation, but with a banking sector that may need some additional support. So how do they walk that tightrope? And I, that uncertainty is certainly having an impact on the volume of transactions right now. I don't want so, that, Joe. Deciding between high inflation or economic turmoil, it sounds like a tough job. Yeah, I don't envy his seat for sure. Enough of the bad news. What about the people that are getting deals done? So what is it that tenants are seeing, owners are seeing that are the motivations to continue to do deals this year? We're not going to see zero transactions. We're going to see lower volume, but plenty of deals are still going to get done. What are the motivations there? Yeah, so I think the positives that we're seeing just in the overall market is a lot of tenants, especially on the retail side, are waking up to putting in more attractive lease terms into leases, either with developers or on sale leasebacks, because they understand we got to keep cap rates low to keep developers happy. Because a lot of the conversations I'm having with tenants is they're still full speed ahead. They're still looking to open up sites. They're still looking to grow their operations. And if cap rates are negatively affected and developers can't make sense of these projects because of the costs, et cetera, then development essentially slows down, which a lot of these tenants do not want. One small example is over the past five years or so, Dollar General has been doing 15-year flat leases where, you know, in speaking to a developer that I have a couple Dollar Generals on market with, a lot of the new leases now have rental increases again, starting in year 11. I've heard I've caught wind of some tenants now putting in 3% annual increases rather than just the 1.5 or the 2% that seemed to be the norm. So I think the positives that are coming from this, at least from an investor standpoint, is a lot of the lease structures that you're going to start seeing for some of these tenants may be more attractive with more attractive terms than you've seen previously. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a confusing environment, right? We historically high inflation, we have banking turmoil, yet retail fundamentals are as strong as they've been in 15 years and we have we've had a much lower number of bankruptcies year this year and we're seeing occupancy across retail reach again, all-time highs since before the great financial crisis. So it's certainly an interesting environment to be doing transactions in. What would you advise someone that's looking to dip their toe into STNL or or any of the products that you are typically seeing, car wash, gas stations? What do they need to do as an investor to make sure that they are making the right decision for their portfolio? Yeah. So I think uh, over this next year, we're going to see a lot of sale leasebacks hit market just due to some of the conversations that I'm having with tenants. If they can spin off the real estate at a better cap rate than what they can refinance at just from a bank, just with how high inflation is, a lot of tenants that historically haven't really considered the sale leaseback approach are now starting to consider it. And those are interesting opportunities for investors due to buying, you're buying the real estate essentially from the tenant, right? So chances are they've upkept it. Furthermore, they tend to be negotiable on the lease structure. If you're buying a property from a tenant and you've got some questions or edits to a lease, oftentimes there's some negotiation that goes there, which gives more flexibility to the owner that's buying it, whether that's better rental increases, et cetera. Obviously it's going to be dependent on a price, but that that's a unique opportunity on the net lease side that I think is going to be interesting over the next year or so. As far as just generalizations of what you need to look for right now, obviously you need to understand what's the financial situation of the tenant that you're buying. Are they sound? Have you seen com company financials? Are they reporting store sales on this specific location? And again, oftentimes that's information you can receive from a tenant if you're buying a sale lease back because they have access to that. You're not just buying a 10-year-old lease from a passive investor that you know, per the lease, they don't report store sales. That's another aspect of sale leasebacks that I like, especially for a first-time buyer. Yeah, the sale leaseback concept and its increase in popularity over the last, well, I'd say, five years has been really interesting. At the end of the day, it's just an alternative form of financing for these tenants, right? So they can, so that they can put the money into expanding their business and their core competency. You know, and but it yeah. se it seems like a real win-win. The investor gets a tenant that is committed to the space and is doing well. Are there any negatives for sale leasebacks? And what are you seeing in terms of the downsides of a sale leaseback? Yeah, like anything, there's bad investments out there, even on the sale leaseback side. And typically those come from tenants that, again, aren't financially sound and may just be doing sale leasebacks as an additional revenue at rents that are unsustainable. But if you can get a lot of those questions answered, I don't think that there's many downsides to a sale leaseback. And to your point, these tenants, they're continuing to try to grow. And with what's going on in the debt market, a sale leaseback is an interesting opportunity for them. As an example, I've got, I just listed six car wash sale leasebacks for a company that owns about 70 car washes, and they have about 60 more in development right now. And the plans is the plans are to reinvest a lot of the money that they're making from this portfolio disposition into further growth. Uh, I've got some gas station sale leasebacks on market. I'm working with another 
car wash operator that got funds from a bank to build four, but wants capital group or developer to help out on two other construction right now with a reverse build to suit. So I think we'll start seeing a lot of these pop up, which should increase the inventory that we see on market with long lease term and attractive cap rates because tenants can be more flexible on a cap rate when they're hitting market at a sale lease back than some of these other passive investors. You you mentioned one structure that I love that doesn't seem to be very popular yet, but I think it should become more popular, and that's a reverse build to suit. Can you explain that to our listeners and what that actually means and the benefits of a reverse build to suit? Yeah, so I guess in this example, the the car wash operator owns the real estate, has construction lined up on six properties that they want to build. Now, four of them, they have the financing and funds to start construction tomorrow, but there's two remaining that they do not have financing or the funds to begin construction on. So what we're doing is we're bringing in a developer that can fund that build essentially, and we'll just own the dirt underneath it with the tenant taking care of most of the responsibilities. And really all they're doing is putting money in a escrow account that the tenant can draw on. And then at signing of the lease, they start, the money goes into the escrow, construction starts. And at the end of the construction, right, tenant starts paying rent on an agreed upon rent. And then that developer can either hold at an attractive cap rate or spin off on market and make their spread. And the investor ultimately will get to keep the depreciation, which is huge. Okay. Lots of creativity, lots of unique ways to get deals done in a tough market. Simon, do you have any parting words of advice for investors in how to navigate this turbulent sea that we see ourselves in today? Yeah. I think we've touched on some of the points already. There's things to be optimistic about and then there's things to be pessimistic about and even the people running this nation it seems are guessing at what's to come so there hasn't been any clear cut direction right i think more important than ever focus on what you can control do what's best for your portfolio if it's acquisitions right now again there could be reasons to be optimistic about acquisitions if it's dispositions right now we're still getting cap rates that quite frankly, I'm scratching my head on because those were the cap rates that were the norm a year ago. I can't understand how people are still paying some of these cap rates that we're finding on markets. It's not all doom and gloom out there. There's a lot of of things going on that are positive. Just focus on what you can control and do what's best for your portfolio. And obviously now more than ever, have conversations with people that are really in tune with what's going on especially as a passive investor, you need to be having conversation with brokers, other investors to understand what they're doing in this market, what they're hearing, because every day there's new news coming out. And if you're not in touch with what's going on, talk to somebody that is. Speak to a market expert. I absolutely agree. Uh, Simon, thank you again for joining us and sharing your insights. Obviously, these are incredibly important topics in a market so full of chaos. Always use your trusted professionals. Please lean on experts such as Simon and other Matthews agents. Simon, any parting words of advice for our investors listening out there today? Yeah, give me a call if you need me. I love it. I love it. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Simon, again. And please join us next time for the Matthews Podcast.